There are a few words that I want to talk about, and there's a couple words that happen in our lives that can change the course of your life. Do you have a phrase that you're longing to hear or a phrase that you heard at one point and it just shifted everything for you? Uh, perhaps it's like, congrats, you're accepted to this university. Or it's uh, someone says they loved you and you've been waiting for so long for them to say those words. Or perhaps it's when you were, someone said, will you marry me? Or that's something you're longing to hear. Or the one that frightens me the most, if I'm honest with you, is, because I, I rarely lie to, to y'all, but anyway, it says, uh, we need to talk. I'll call you tomorrow. Oh, that's 24 hours of suspense and I can't handle it. Uh, what about the words, you got the job, or you've lost your job, or it's a boy, it's a girl, I have cancer, or the treatment worked. There's these phrases that we hear in our lives uh, that with one sentence can shift everything about our lives. Sometimes it's a question, sometimes it's a statement, sometimes it's an observation, uh, but a few words can change everything. Jesus uh, had a lot of words, and, and whenever he tended to speak and heal somebody, there was always that incredible moment where the words were almost more soothing uh, than the actual action that took place. He's in Luke, there's a picture of him, and he's walking through town, and, and a, a man with leprosy comes up to him, which is a whole other thing maybe we'll talk about someday, but works his way through the crowd, and, and, Jesus, uh, and, the, and the man says, will you heal me? And Jesus, before he said yes, touched him and affirmed his humanity with his words later and said, I'm willing not only to heal you, but I'm willing to, to touch you. I'm willing to do this. You know, there's, there's phrases that Jesus uses. And then there's the phrase that he uses to Peter. After Peter's had a rough night, he's denied him three times. And he, Peter thinks his, his life is over. He's failed the course. And then Jesus makes him breakfast and says these words, feed my sheep. And Peter goes, what? And he goes, no, no, feed my sheep. And so it was like Peter's being reaffirmed again. Uh, it, there, there's the phrases in Genesis where, where God says over and over, this is good. This is good. There's the phrase that the women use when they come back to the upper room and they say, he's risen. It's these short term, these short phrases that shape a lot of the scripture. And today I want to look at a few words that Jesus asks one man and changes his life forever when he says, and it's not just he asks this man this, this question or says this statement to this man. He says the same things to us. So these past few Sundays, and, and uh, this is the last one, we've been talking about the three H's uh, that shape Bethany Ballard, a place for people to find home and community, to be known, a place for people to find hope in Christ, and a place for people to find healing. And then today I want to focus on the healing aspect of it. In order to experience these things, in order for people to experience them when they're with us on a Sunday morning or in a small group, there's something that we need to experience ourselves first. So if you have your Bible, we're going to read it in John chapter 5. And I wrote down 1 through 15. We're going to go to about verse 8. And I want you to hear this, this story. I'm going to read it with you. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. It was Passover, in case you're wondering. This was the Passover festival. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years. 
When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for that long of a time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me to get into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, somebody else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked away. Now there's a a second half to the story that we'll have to get to another time. But I want to focus on this first part. Our text shows this man, and we'll review some of the details here, this man who was sitting by this pool in Bethesda. We, we don't catch his name. I, I wish, I wish they, they would tell us, you know, was it Frank? Was it Bill? Was it another Peter? Was it a John? We don't know his name, but the more I think about it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, because, the, and, I, and I think it's better that we don't catch his name, because the more I think about it, the more I come to realize that the man in this story and the words that Jesus says to him are the words that he says to us too, and we are just like this man in this story. The man has a name. It's your name. It's my name. So imagine this. Put yourself in the text, which is a fabulous way to to read the Bibles during your quiet time. Put yourself as if you were there that day, and Jesus walked up to you. The man has a problem. We have problems. The problems I have and the problems you have. And Jesus encounters this man at the pool, the sheep gate, in case you weren't f- clear on your how Jerusalem used to be. It's at the north end of town. There's this pool that's about 360 feet long and about 138, 130 feet wide. I think we have a picture of it. They dug it up. It looks like that now. It's pretty deep, right? You can probably jump in there and do some flips. I would never, but... That's what it looks like now. Originally, it was built as a, as a monument for wealth and prosperity. However, now in this text, people who were using it were the ones who were diseased, sick, or, or paralyzed. It's called Bethesda, but really it could be called anything. Pick a, pick a neighborhood. Pick your home. It could be called Green Lake. It could be called Central Park. It could be called the Space Needle. It could be called LA Live, centered down in, in, in Los Angeles. It could be Bethany Ballard. It could be Bethany Green Lake, Northeast, West. Anywhere. It could be any location. Because all it is, it's a, a place where a group of hurting people come and gather, hoping to get well. And here's what would happen. The underwater spring would start to bubble. They don't know why. It would occasionally bubble. They believed that uh, some angel would come and dip its wings into the water and cause a stir, literally stir the water up. And they also added the folklore behind it that the first person to touch the water would be healed. We don't know if it actually worked. Uh, it was kind of a folklore thing, like a superstitious thing. Both pagan people who would, would gather there, people who worshipped the Roman gods and the Greek gods, and then the Jewish people would gather there, the followers of Yahweh. It was a place where they wanted to find hope. And because of this myth, this text tells us that the place was full of people, and they used to gather there for the hope of being healed. However, since we don't know it's, it's working, we just know that there was a group of people there. And our passage today gives us a rare glimpse into what Jesus did in his time off. You notice in the text, if you would read it again, Jesus isn't with a bunch of people. This is one of the few times that he's not with a crowd. His disciples are gone. 
The disciples aren't with him. Jesus is by himself. The town is full. Jerusalem is hopping this day. It's Passover, which means every Jew from around the world that can make the trip is there in the city that day. But Jesus is by himself. And so he must have gone incognito. Perhaps he put his hood over his head or or a pair of glasses. I don't know what they did to disguise themselves back then that day. But he's walking. No one recognizes him because he's walking and there's no crowd behind him. It makes me wonder this question. I I think Jesus went there specifically that day to talk to this man at that time for a single purpose. And we don't know why. But this is one of the few times where Jesus intentionally seeks somebody out. And so I could picture him walking through this. The best I can picture is it's like a, a homeless encampment, right? He's walking and he's stepping over people. And he's looking at the person he's trying to get to. I'm going to try not to look at any of you in particular, but he's looking. I'm going to look at the back wall. And so he's looking at that person, and he's avoiding people. He's stepping over people. I wonder if some people grabbed his, his ankles. Maybe they were trying to get a hold of him. But he had a, a, a laser-like focus on this person. And this week, as I've thought about the story and the fact that Jesus went there intentionally that day to, to be there, it tells me something about our God And Jesus, he intentionally goes to where people are hurting. God is present where you are hurt. And if we're honest and if we think about our lives, if we think about where we're going to, we have all been hurt and some people are hurting now. He didn't just go there. He didn't just go there that day. He went there intentionally for this person specifically. He could have gone and enjoyed the festivals. He, he might have had a more impactful day. There were bigger crowds out in the, in the city downtown. Uh, after all, the Passover feast was about him. He probably could have make a scene, made a scene, which he does in the next chapter. But at this time, in this place, he went to that, that person to show us something. We tend to hide our hurts from people. We tend to hide our hurts from God. It's something that we've done since the beginning of time. Look at Genesis 3. We screw up. Adam and Eve, uh, they, they sin. What do they do? They hide. And where does God show up? In Genesis 3. And he doesn't avoid them. He doesn't go, oh, this is going to be awkward. They're going to tell me all their problems. I don't want to hear it. Uh, did anybody else get that way? Okay, maybe just me. But he intentionally goes to that person. And God intentionally goes to Adam and Eve, even though it's awkward, they're naked, they don't know it. Now they're wandering around with fig leaves. And so I'm going to go to that person. He goes to where our hurts are. Sometimes we like to deny our hurting. We don't like to see ourselves that way. We don't want anyone else to see us that way. We don't want anyone to know that we inside in that dark corner of your heart are lying by the edge of the pool. I like to see myself in the text. And when I do, I'd rather see myself differently than this man at the side of the pool. I like to see myself like David fighting a lion or, or, or perhaps you want to see yourself like the Hebrew women in, 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 in Exodus 3 or 4. It always goes back to Exodus where they stand up against Pharaoh or, or perhaps you want to see yourself with the faith of Abraham or the devotion of Mary. We pick more prominent people to be like in the scripture, right? Would you ever see yourself like this guy sitting by the edge of the pool? But in order to be like David, like Mary, like Gideon, like Samson, we have to first realize that there are parts in our lives that make us like the man by the pool that day. Sometimes we're out of options. Sometimes we can't work. 
sometimes we can't walk. We can't care for ourselves. And sometimes we can't even make it to the pool's edge of the water. We can't get in. We can't find healing. We can't find hope. This person has been this way for 38 years. 38 years sitting in the same spot wondering if one day someone's going to help him into the water. Wondering if one day he's going to get there first. Wondering one day if he's actually going to work if he touches it. We don't know exactly what his issues were. Some say that there was a, a, a head injury. Some said there, that there was a, a, a paralysis. We don't know. The, the word used for this is, is different from the word paralyzed. The word that's used there is the Greek word. Uh, it, it's, it's worse than paralyzed. This man's in bad shape. Some suggest that he fell as a boy and his family couldn't care for him any longer or his parents died and his family disowned him and just left him there. All that we know is that happened 38 years ago. And every day has been sitting there hoping that one day he would be able to walk away. Maybe the more we look at him in the story, the more we're allowed to look at ourselves and realize that, hey, we're a lot like him. Maybe you've been fighting something for 38 years. Wondering if you'll ever, ever, ever find freedom. But notice this phrase that Jesus says. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, uh, Jesus took into mind something that day. He took into mind how long he had been sick. Uh, being sick for a long time changes a person. We, we had something go through our house from the end of Thanksgiving to like last week. And there's this point in like a cold where you wonder, is this thing ever going to go away, right? Am I going to forever wake up in the middle of the night with a cough, with mucus? Am I, any, am I ever going to get better? Because there's a time in our sicknesses where we just kind of learn to get used to it. It becomes a way of life. It becomes a new normal, something we just want to accept, something that we'll have to deal with for a while, something that we'll just have to make a, an accommodation for in our lives. Then we settle, and then we adjust. I guess that's why when Jesus walked up to this man and learned about his condition, he followed with this next question. Do you want to get well? I mean, you've been here for 38 years, but do you even want to get better? In other words, do you want to remain in this place? Can you even imagine your life different? Have you become so accustomed to this way of life that you can't imagine life outside of your illness defined by what's happened to you in the last four decades? But watch this man's answer. Sir, the invalid replied, we have no one, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And I look at this and see a powerful picture of what we as humans do when we know that we're sick and we're searching for healing. We look someplace else. This man is at the foot of Jesus. I'm sure he's heard about Jesus. Perhaps some of his friends that are able to walk away have gone up and found Jesus and been healed. I'm sure he's heard about them. And, and he doesn't he, he, he doesn't go right to Jesus with his problem. He comes up with, this is, this is my excuse. The, the, I'm looking to something else to heal me. I'm, I'm looking for another reason. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're at the side of the pool and you have this issue. And you say, and God's like, do you want to be healed? And you're like, yeah, but. And you list five or six other options that are keeping you in this place. And God's like, I didn't ask you your excuses. I'm asking you this question. 
do you want to be healed? We look to a, a pool, so to speak, something to be created or something that we've created to tell ourselves that we're free. Sometimes uh, we think something else will heal us. Or if we have a, an addiction or something, we say, well, I only used it twice this week, which is down from last week, but up from the week before. And so we kind of rationalize or, or move the goalpost back to make ourselves feel like we're healed. But really, all that's doing is perpetuating the problem. We say things like, if only I can get into that pool, then my, my body would be made whole and then I'll be made right. If only other people didn't get there before me, if only my life were different, this would have never happened to me. We define ourselves by that little two-word phrase, if only. If only I would have gotten that job. If only I wouldn't have been hurt. If only I never got sick. If only I didn't even get married. If only I had been married. If only they wouldn't have left, if only I had more money, if only they had stayed, if only they didn't cheat, if only I didn't look at that website that one day, if only. Pretty soon the victims uh, victims become our lives because of that phrase, if only. We start blaming what didn't happen or what has happened in our lives over and over until we have 38 years full of excuses. What's your if only? If only this didn't happen, I would be different. What was your mistake? Where was your failure? Uh, what, what was your missed opportunity? How, many ti- or how long have you been paralyzed for? And how long has that if only kept you paralyzed? Jesus approaches the man in the middle of his if only phrases. And he asks them this question. He says, do you want to get well? And then the man says, if only I could get there in time, then I wouldn't have to worry about it. And then Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And it's kind of a rude phrase, right? This man's been sitting there for 38 years. Jesus knows he's been sitting there for 38 years. And he has the audacity to say, get up and walk. Uh, notice Jesus doesn't address his if only. He doesn't address his, his pool narrative, his excuse. He doesn't even try to help the man get to the water's edge and sit there and wait for maybe the angel to come stir. He doesn't even help him with his excuses. In some ways, John, the one who wrote this gospel, is telling us that there's a new life that's about to be created. It's a new Genesis 1 moment, if you will, where God declares life and light into a story where there was death and darkness and despair. If, 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 it's as if Jesus is saying, let there be light in your life where all that you've had before are regrets, shame, and excuses. Let your faith be renewed. Let there be hope within you to lift you from your hopeless place and get on with your life. Let there be imagination that will carry you forward from this place to a new place. And at the pool that day, Jesus, the creator God, the one who was present at the creation, says to this man, you can have life if you get up. And at once, verse 9 says, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. And Jesus healed him. Yes, praise God. But in this healing, there's a challenge. It's not that, if, that, that Jesus leaves him by the pool and then sneaks out the side door. Instead, Jesus tells him and, help, and says, get up. He says, you're healed. Now get up. Now, again, try and be in this story. This isn't you or me getting up off the ground uh, as, as you've been sitting there cross-legged and your feet are asleep. And the lar- as you get older, young ones, it's harder to get up off the ground. 
That's why we have chairs here, not beanbags. It's hard to get off the ground after, after a while. Imagine 38 years of this. Imagine the conditions of his muscles, his body, not just his physical side, but his emotional side. How many times has he tried to wiggle his toes and nothing? How often has he tried to bend his knee to flex his, his quad muscle or, or try and stretch and nothing? 38 years. How many people has he seen healed instead of him? But something was different that day. Because of this single moment, he actually had the courage to stand up and walk. And this is a much larger uh, picture than just a physical healing. He had a lot more to overcome than just standing and walking. He had a new life to get used to. Uh, for many of you know, my, my dad died in 2016. But before that, he was diagnosed with his lung disease in 2010. We got used to dad being sick. It was just the way it was. Uh, it was a slow decline. It was a fibrosis of the lungs, and it just kind of went this way. For once, for a couple years, it was no big deal. And then, after a while, the lung capacity got smaller and smaller. And then we got used to Dad having to carry with him uh, an oxygen bag that he would plug in every once in a while when Mom told him to. Uh, and then he had to start carrying the tanks. And we just got used to it. That was just the way of life. And, and it would, it, we didn't expect it to get any better. We just adjusted to it. And then when the talk of possibly a lung transplant would come, I remember asking him, Dad, you've been sick for a long time. What would it be like if you were actually healed? And he goes, oh, I don't know. It's not that he gave up hope. He just couldn't picture his life any different. I said, what would you do? Oh, I'd probably take Tugger for a walk. Tugger was his black lab that he, he, we played with a lot. It was hard for him to imagine something. Then, after he died in that, in that January, I remember sitting down with, all of us were down there, and we were sitting with mom, and we were figuring out what was going to happen. And there was this point where mom said, I don't know what life is like without sick dad. Because for six years, she got used to taking care of him. She got used to the oxygen pumps that he had to sleep with, the sound, the noise. She got used to waiting for the people to come with new tanks every other day. She didn't realize how much effort she had put in to caring for him. This was just her way of life. And now, with dad gone and, and the ultimate healing in heaven, there was a new normal to start. There was a new life to start. Now it's mom's life again. In many ways, this is what that man is going through. He's healed. Where's his family? He doesn't know. Where's he going to go? I don't know. It's been 38 years. Where's he going to walk to? Maybe the stores that he used to go to when he was a kid closed. Who knows? There's a new life that he has to go, go to. And for some, for many of us, I know for me too, the thought of a new normal after being hung up with something for so long is so terrifying that you might as well want to stay sick. Have any of us felt that way? Our challenge is that sometimes adapting to a no normal keeps us from experiencing the healing that we so want. Sometimes the thought of being healed and the changes that would keep us from experiencing the newness of God keep us from experiencing the newness of God. We're afraid of what it might be like. So this is why people stay in unhealthy relationships. 
This is why we stay addicted to substances. This is why we keep plugged into pornography. The fear of a new way of life is more frightening than the hurt we're experiencing. So the question that Jesus asked the man, do you want to be healed? It, It makes sense, right? Do you want to get past this? Are you comfortable living like this? Of course not. We're not comfortable living like this. Okay, then get up your, take up your mat and walk. You want to be healed, but do you really want to live your life differently? Are you willing to make the change? It's been my experience with many people that the answer uh, is that I want to be healed, but I am unwilling to do the work of standing up and picking up my mat and walked. What else would I complain about if I did that? I would have nothing to talk about. But this man was different. The man got up, picked up his mat, and walked away. Jesus ends up running into him later at the temple, and there's a follow-up conversation if you want to read on further. But Jesus didn't take him any place. The man got up and left. In many ways, I wish we would do that because what's true for the man here in John 5 is true for you and me if we take Jesus at his word. I wish we would take him at his word. I wish he would, when he comes to us and says, do you want to be healed? And our answer is yes. I wish that we would actually get up and walk, but human nature doesn't tell us or doesn't allow us to. Jesus is telling us to stand and walk away from whatever is hurting us, whatever is keeping us down, but we don't want to. He says you're valuable, but we can't believe him. He says you're forgiven from that mistake, those bad choices, but we don't want to accept it and unload the guilt. He says don't fear, but if we don't fear, what are we going to think about? He tells me not to worry, but I worry about having something or nothing to worry about. That's my problem. If I have nothing to worry about, what's going to keep me up at night? He says he'll provide, but do we allow him to? I read the story this week of, uh, about uh, a man who was in Napoleon's army and a horse got away from Napoleon and, and little Napoleon, I guess. And the guy ran after, it was a private in Napoleon's army and he ran after him and got the horse and he brought it back to Napoleon and, and it was a private and that's an important detail. And Napoleon looks at him probably like this and says, it's a short joke because Napoleon was short. We got it? Cool. Uh, Three of us. Okay. So Napoleon looks at him and says, thank you, Captain. Oh, no, 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 no. This man's a private. Napoleon called him a captain. Did this man correct him? Absolutely not. This man was just promoted. And so he went to the quartermaster and he got a new uniform. It was a captain's uniform. He went to the captain's barracks and found himself a better bunk. He went to the captain's mess and, and, or the officer's mess and, and got him a good meal. Uh, he, he, he took the emperor at his word. He was promoted. He is a private, but that emperor called him a captain. And he moved on with it and he, he accepted it and lived into it. For many of us, we define ourselves by our hangups. We define ourselves by the if-onlys. We define ourselves by what keeps ourselves by the end of the pool. And does Jesus come to this man and say, you're paralyzed, you'll oh, No, no, no. He says, get up and be healed. And he says the same thing to us. We define ourselves as sinner, totally depraved. Everything is terrible with us. Is that true? No. But that keeps us in our spot. Paul calls you a saint. You're not a sinner. You're a saint. 
Jesus calls you beloved. He, he took your name to the cross. He put his hand over it and said, everything that you have done wrong has been stained out with my blood. But we have a hard time believing it. Jesus looks at us and doesn't call us private. He calls us captains. And we have a hard time accepting the promotion. Jesus comes in to a hurting world. He steps over people. He navigates through the messes of our lives. He stands over us. He gets through our boundaries that we put up against him and offers us a hand, offers to heal us. He says to us, do you want to be healed? Then it's time to get up and walk. And what will you do? Oftentimes we approach God with this limiting belief and that's what keeps us from being healed we don't think that god will ever heal us it could be physical it could be emotional it could be relational it could be whatever the other holes that are in there that keep you sick or keep you from experiencing the healing we put this limiting belief on him we think that god won't and so we don't ever allow god to even try we limit what God can and cannot do. We, I see this at the gym when we w- lift weights, right? Someone will be in front of a bar and there's a weight on there and they'll say, I could never lift that. And I look at them and go, now you never will. Because we've already told ourselves we can't. My son does this with his Plants vs. Zombies game. That's the new hit in the Thayer house. Plants vs. Zombies. It's annoying, but it's fun. He'll come up and say, I'll never beat this level And I was in a mood the other day and I looked at him and said, now you never will. Not the most fatherly answer to give. I get it. But we put the same thing on God. We limit what we can do. We limit what God can do. We say, God will never heal me. And God is a polite God. And sometimes he doesn't go where he's not invited or wanted. And he'll go, okay. Then we won't. I I want to heal you, but you're not even going to let me. I want to take you from this, uh, but you've attached this limiting belief to me that what I can and cannot do, you've limited my scope of work here. And this is a challenge to all of us because Jesus navigates into your life and says, I want to make you well. Are you ready or are you going to allow the limitness that you have put on yourself to limit what God can do for you? Are you going to stop his healing, stop his restoration? Are you going to keep that relationship fractured between you and that other person? Or are you going to allow the Holy Spirit to navigate into your life and make it better? If you say to yourself, it'll never get better, then you have your answer. It'll never get better. If all you can come up with is another excuse on why you're stuck in this place, you're going to remain stuck in this place because Jesus is offering you a chance to get up and walk and we won't take it. I deeply desire for all of us to be like this man here, that we get past our if onlys because we're all sitting by a pool. We're all hurting. That's us. Put your name there. That's Brad at the edge of the pool at Bethesda with all of my hangups and my problems. And Jesus comes up to me and says, do you want to be well? And he says, then get up your mat pick up your mat and walk and I hesitate because of my if onlys or because of my limits I put on God. I don't know how this connects with you today. Maybe for some of us, we've defined our our lives by everything that's happened to us over our 38 years or 20 years or 65 years, whatever years you've been around, you've defined yourself by what's happened to you and you're refusing to let Jesus happen to you. 
Maybe you're afraid to accept the new life because the old way has you so trapped. Maybe you're so ingrained in a specific way of thinking that you've missed what God's been doing around you. Maybe you're so thinking that God will never be in this place where I am. He never comes to my apartment. He never speaks to me when I'm qu- I do my quiet time. Maybe we need to be shocked by the fact that Jesus comes right to us, kind of like Jacob was that one day, and he woke up and said, surely God was in this place, and I didn't even know it. Maybe for some of us, we've put the handcuffs on what God over what he can and cannot do. Or maybe you've been healed. Maybe you've overcome something, and then you keep falling back to it. And you keep, you always seem to find a way to go back to where you were and you find yourself in the same situation over and over and over again. It's this cycle that you experience. Today, I I hope that you would, we would, because I'm there too, hear the words of our Savior. If you want to be well, pick up your mat. Stop making the excuses. Pick up your mat and walk with me. I hear this when we talk about like uh, wanting to do a quiet time. Well, I really want to read my Bible, but it's so early in the morning. I really want to read my Bible, but there's so much other stuff going on. Well, time to do it. Stop making the excuses. Do it. really want to join a small group, but I, I just have so many other things. You'll make time for what's important in your life. If it's important in your life to find healing, you'll make space for it. You'll allow God to do it. What phrase can Jesus say to you today that would change your life? Because I have a hunch, given just by the nature of Jesus, the way he walks into hurting people's lives, that he's walking into your life and he wants to say this phrase to you if you're willing to listen and if you're willing to believe it. Is there someone you need to talk to today? Is there a text you need to send? Is there a phone call? I realize that my phone makes phone calls too. Is there a phone call you need to make? Is there a conversation that needs to be had? Is there a place where you need to go that you've been avoiding? Is there an app on your phone or on your computer or on your smart TV or wherever else apps live that you need to delete and walk away from? Is there something you need to do and release in order to pick up your mat and walk away with Jesus today so that you would experience the healing that he offers you? What's the phrase? Jesus says, if you want to be healed, get up and walk. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you walk up to each one of us And you walk up to us in our condition, where we are, as we are, in our hiding places. (laughs) You still haven't, that question that you asked Adam and Eve, where are you? It's the same question you ask us today. Where are you? You're looking for us. You come to us in our hurting and you don't want us to stay that way. And so, Lord, as as your spirit moves in this room, it has been all morning as the worship begins again. May you bring to mind those places where we want to be healing. If we haven't had them yet, would you bring them there? And, Lord, that phrase that's in our minds right now, that that phrase we so desire you to uh, 
to say to us, you want us to get rid of cynicism is something that comes to our mind. Lord, would we allow you to take it? May we get up and walk. May we walk away from that pool today because you've made us whole. May we walk away from the definitions as as an invalid, as a paralyzed person, as someone who is this and that, and walk into the definition that you give us as child of yours, holy, saint, loved, healed. May we live into the reality that you give us instead of the reality that we've painted for us. May we hear your words today and come to you and leave the old life behind and take the promotion. As the music goes and as you spend some time, there is uh, communion elements over to my right, your left. As you hear that phrase that Jesus is wanting to say to you, a way that you can accept it is take it to the cross and say, Jesus, I hear you. I want to pick up my mat and I want to walk away. I want to walk with you today and live a new life. I want to be healed. I want to experience your healing. It's in your name we ask this. Amen.